This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around Australia. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and of course the great outdoors. Good morning to you, Redmond. Good morning, Patrick. Great to be here as per usual and uh, we had a nice week during the week, didn't we? We did. I tell you what, after a, well, a personal disappointing weekend the following week, getting back out in the boat finally and taking a few of the Geelong Cats boys out with uh, our great mate Chris Vasileski from Gone Fishing Charters, getting out onto the squid, onto the whiting, just a great day on the boat. You forget how much and how therapeutic getting outside and fishing can be when you haven't done it for such a long period of time. So, God, it was good to get out, and Chris looked after us very well, as he always does. And great news is, Redmond, for those fishing regionally in Victoria at the moment, that fishing charters are back on. Chris can accommodate up to seven people on his boat at the moment. So if you've got a crew that are ready to go, now's a great time to get out, uh, chase some fish, um, enjoy each other's company. We had a great day simply because we, we lucked out on on really good weather, Redmond, had a bit of a tour around, went over to um, Sorrento and then, you know, went well on the whiting. And if Joel Selwood's catching fish, Aaron, then – you know, things are <laughs> things are okay. Anyone can do it. Well, the very first time when I met you at that famous Queenscliff boat ramp when our uh, bromance started, it was uh, actually Scoot Salwood who was down there, not Joel, but it was the first time. And I witnessed the North Bank 650 hardtop getting its christening covered in squidding that very first day. It'd have to be five <laughs> five plus years ago now. So it was a long time ago when you were net. Oh, it was a cracker watching you do that. But we got some beautiful squid over at Sereno, which was good. We had to find that clear water because that swell has just been relentless down here in uh, bottom end of Victoria. And we just can't get onto those big squid like we we, we did last year and the years before around the Port Phillip Bay heads and whatnot. So we found that clear water, which is crucial, and got some beautiful squid. And like you said before, the whiting, the whiting love that dirty water, and that's why they're fishing so, so well. So the boys got a great feed of fish. Uh I'd like to uh, would have liked to get some photos with the hawk with uh, with a few whiting, but whiting already looks small in my hands, so we won't get the <laughs> like, hawk holding any fish anyway because it'll make them look like tadpoles. <laughs> they look like pilchards, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, very good day. Got some good weather. Lucked out. Some good food on good food on the barbie that Chris has on offer on that big boat of his. So if you do have a group like you said, you're always going to have a good coffee because he loves his coffee machine on that boat in that big cabin of his. Now I want to talk about. Uh, bridal rope we spoke about it last weekend and we said we were going to continue our discussion on 
Um, and we've had quite a few messages on our Real Adventures socials. And you can get in contact us, uh, contact with us uh, at Real Adventures on both Instagram, Facebook, and of course our Real Adventures app, which you can download for free. And a lot of it was, can you go into depth around bridling and how it works? Yeah, we did. We did a little bit touch base on it a little bit last week. So if you do want to listen to any of our shows, make sure you download the Real Adventures app. It's got all our podcasts, recipes, and plenty of other options on the app in itself. But the bridle rope's a pretty crucial thing to have on a boat, uh, whether you're fishing offshore or in the bay and even in tidal waters. Now, not often do I use it in tidal waters, to tell the honest truth, but it definitely does help at times. Uh, I tend to favour the conditions more rather than bridling the tide but it's when you're snapper fishing or if you're fishing in the ocean where you can't control uh i guess your wind and tide on the day as much as you can in the bay so in the lower half of the bay i should say in the tidal water so if you're fishing on the snapper up at say uh karen where a lot of people chase a snapper in the coming months and you've got say a southwesterly wind coming from sort of queenscliff to that mornington area part that karen area and then if the if the tide's coming in and it's actually pulling towards, say, that Bow Morris, you're sort of sitting across. So the lines are going to be pulling to the left side of the boat, looking at the back towards the engine. So what the bridle does is the bridle actually allows you to pull yourself around by attaching a, ro- a, a rope to the anchor and then letting some rope out at the front, creating that sort of triangular, triangular-shaped sort of, I guess, pattern from the boat to the rope in itself, and that actually directs you to the direction you need to follow with your with casting your baits out in which way the tide's going to help you stop. It stops you from swinging, but it allows you to fish with wind and tide favouring the way that your boat wants to sit. So it allows you to fish more rods. It stops that swinging pattern a lot because if you're just naturally swinging back and forward, your, your, your rods t- will pull across the bottom. Where if when you bridle and put it sideways, your boat only moves a small amount, but it's actually moving. Uh, it's not swinging around. It's just moving with the actual uh, with the actual wind itself in a small direction. And we spoke last week around uh, snapper fishing using snapper racks and how beneficial they can be. They can also be the biggest nightmare of all time when that boat's swinging. Mm. Because under the water, and you spoke about braid and how good it can be, it can also be an absolute pain if you've got six rods where underneath there's a, a hurricane of of pilchards and squid that are wrapping around themselves. This is why it's so important. Yeah, you're spot on. And swinging around is you're going to always swing in the bay. In well, sorry, I won't say bay. I'll say in non-tidal areas, you're always going to swing. You're naturally just going to swing. Now, it it. it not only does it help you like spread the baits, like you said before, but it does stop the tangle. And the tangle is crucial when you are using braid because when braid gets tangled, it's a pain in the backside. And I only use braid. As we know, I'm not a mono fan, especially for snapper. But I just want to put it out there just to be a bit mindful of when you do bridle up, you need to be a bit smart on the conditions that you're actually fishing in in itself. It can be a little bit dangerous at times, probably more smaller boats than bigger boats, but if the conditions are say quite rough, so 15 knots plus, and you bridle up on and you actually bridle up. So that bridle pulls your boat around with that triangular shape that I said. And you can pull yourself all the way around and virtually tie the back of the anchor. Sorry, the back of your boat to the anchor. And that you can literally sit with the anchor out facing out the back. That's how far you can pull yourself out uh, with a bridle. 
But the problem is a lot of the time you're trying to sit side on to favor that tide, which all you need to do is favor it slightly to stop the swing and it works well. But once you go side on, obviously waves are going to then hit your side on pat. So you've got to be smart of when you do it. Fish to the conditions that your boat can handle and the boat and the and what you can handle in yourself with your comfort zone. But be mindful that if you do sit side on to the water, sitting side on can actually create waves to break over the side which can cause obviously water coming in the boat and a few issues. So that's just a little disclaimer there, Pat, just be a bit, bit smarter if you're in rough conditions in your bridle. But if you're anything under that sort of 12 knots is going to be pretty comfortable, which a lot of people fish under that 15 knot uh, weather uh, period anyway, Pat. Let's have a look around the country, Redmond. But before we get to that, Vic Rock Lobster, there's a new tagging program in place. Yeah, there is. And we'll, uh, I'm going to stick with what I said a few years ago when they first bought them out. I think it was the Silly Blue Tags was the first ones they bought out, Pat, that I, that I got stuck into. But they're going to be replaced with digital tags. So you no longer need to actually possess and actually tag the rock lobster in itself. Uh, it's going to be a digital tag, and the details have to be, will be reported through the Go Fish uh, app, which you'll be able to download any and on any of your phone. Um you need to register the intent to be active before heading out actually rock lobster fishing in itself. So you actually need to notify that when you're actually going to go so they know how many rock lobster uh, fishermen they're going to have out there, fisherwomen as well. And they can only be assigned to your account as well, those tags. So if you're for, for more information, head to the Victorian Fisheries website or their Facebook page and you'll be able to find out more about it over the coming months as we get closer to that November 15th, 16th when the crayfish season actually opens. Let's take a look around the country. Uh, whiting report for the week, Aaron. Yeah, the whiting, um, out of control, to be honest with you. Uh, they, um, they're, they're as good as I've ever caught them. And to tell you the truth, they are also a bit early. So the numbers weren't here this time last year that they are in now. And I don't know if that's got to do with the water clarity and the and, and the dirtiness because that just sends them into a feeding frenzy. But this time last year, I was getting big calamari. So I reckon the water was clearer, Pat. So I reckon that's playing that bit of a role while the whiting are biting early. The water is still bloody cold. It's only 12.8 to maximum 13 degrees. Like... I had Finn, the little fella. I got home the other day and I and I left some fish in the live bait tank for him to play with as he does. And I don't know how he had his hands in there for 15 minutes playing with these fish because I put my hand in there for 20 seconds. I nearly froze it, the poor kid. So it's literally that cold. So the snapper fishery in itself, yes, get ready, but be smart with that water temp. It's still that under 13 degrees. I am not chasing snapper yet. There was some beautiful fish caught during the week in Western Port, and we know we're going to get Gwaine on next week because we know that Western Port will heat up before Port Phillip. And those shallow mud, flat, mud, muddy waters will also, the mud will heat up, which will show on low tide. And when the water sits over it, it heats up quick. It's quite shallow at the top end of Western Port where the snapper will feed first. Clifton Springs, some fish come out of there, and they're the two places that I would be fishing first. Obviously, COVID restrictions permitting, but they're gonna. There's still a little bit away. I'm not gonna call it till November when snapper season's here. I think you even had some reports of some big rainbow trout caught during the week, Pat. Yeah, and I love this, Redmond, because Melbourne and Sydney are the two cities that have been hammered with COVID more than any other uh, major city around the country. And at the moment, there's some phenomenal fish being caught out of Albert Park. Some great reports uh, of of five to six pound plus rainbow trout and some some approaching that magic 10 pound mark 
Uh, we know Vic Fisheries do some great stocking programs through there. There's really good um, catch rates of yellow belly at the moment as well. Um, Vinny's Fishing, uh, who we follow uh, on Instagram, has had some great captures of fish, you know, in that sort of five to 10 pound range, um, fishing hard bodies and a few soft plastics as well. So he's had some great fish and um, the reports just keep on on coming, Aaron. And it's it's a great fishery for something that's literally at the, the doorstep of metropolitan Melbourne. Something you and I might do in the coming months, weeks or weeks, Pat, I should say, before, we don't want it to get too hot, but the Goulburn River, I know you love your fly fishing and we know they stocked it and whatnot, but some massive rainbow trout coming out of there. Like you said before, that 10 pound mark, it's coming in regularly. So well worth heading to the Golden River if you have access to that river in itself. In Tassie, the Derwent is producing some huge brown trout as well with fish over the six-pound mark coming in consistently and just casting out little Rapala, little divers in that profile are working well and also soft plastics. The Tama River or Tama River fishing really well with big browns up to 70 centimetres, which is also hitting that double-figure mark being 10-pound for weight as well. And Browns River is fishing really well for brim with vibes and uh, soft plastics doing the damage there. Heading to Western Australia, uh, land-based fishing off Perth has seen some uh, really nice whiting being caught. There's some really big swells uh, at the moment, which which makes things challenging. Fresh squid on a size 4 gamma uh, worm hook is the go-to for these bigger fish. Uh, some of the reef species uh, as well, Aaron, fishing quite well. Um, King George whiting to nearly 60 centimetres, as well as snook and pike. Um, and the other, the Kunanara Barra, Aaron, the Barra Bash on the 23rd uh, to the 26th. That's something that we're looking forward to. Yeah, it is. So Rec West have actually sponsored the competition as well. We know Rec West is a uh, awesome uh, um, government initiative over in WA. And they have a prize for the biggest barramundi. And there's some great uh, prizes going all around. There's a tinny that's valued at $13,000, even if you don't land a fish, Pat. So that's not for the biggest fish. That's even if you don't land a fish just for your entry. Uh, so well worth sussing that out because this Lake Kununara is home to a lot of one meter plus barra. And that's thanks to a managed, really well managed stocking program, which has seen more than 1 million fish released into that waterway since 2013. So there's a really good chance you're going to land that big trophy fish. So that's one to keep an eye on, Pat. South Australia, once again, there's great reports from the York Peninsula producing whiting, pushing that 50 centimetre mark. If it's anything less than the sort of size of your arm, they sort of throw them back in um, <laughs> beautiful SA. Red 90, 90 centimetres of the hawk's arm. <laughs> uh, squid and pippy bait, the bait of choice. Fishing out of Marion Bay, uh, there's been great numbers of Nanagai, Aaron. So I want you to talk me through this, uh, the best way to target those. I was hoping you said the best way to cook them because Nanagai burgers are my bloody favourite. I'll tell you what, they are, <laughs> they've are. they got to be one of the nicest fish to eat. And I'm not a massive fish eater. I do like fish at times, but I reckon I can have my Nanagai burgers any day of the week, to tell you the truth, because they just, they're just a super clean eating fish and they live on the reefs and that slightly deeper reefs and the bycatch i know south australia the snapper rule but the bycatch of your snapper your morwong your schoolies and your gumbos and when i say bycatch they are all bycatch of each other so you can target all of those species and you've got a chance of catching the same spot. Each species yep. of fish in that same reefy area sort of that 40 to 50 meters so that's fishing really way out of marion bay and if you're on the jetty down there at marion bay and you want to get some fresh bait or some fresh calamari to eat 
And I ate calamari during the week, Pat, as well. And as the first time in a long time I'm eating some calamari, I tell you what, I'm going to have to load you up with some because I don't think there's much beats the calamari either because that is sensational eating calamari pasta. But sorry, off, off topic there, the jetty's fishing really well for some bit, really quality squid. And Wyala have had a massive run of good-sized calamari also with bag limit captures pretty much coming in with most boats. So really, really good to see for the South Australian fishermen. Uh, heading to New South Wales. I'm going to steal this one, Pat, from the start because this is – I'm sorry, I've got to take this. This is the first time in four decades that we've seen what's happened on the New South Wales coast here. And I don't know if you've seen some of the screenshots happen during the week. It, it – like – I'm gobsmacked how to even explain to you. I'm talking yellowfin tuna, excessive of 70 kilo, just jumping Free out jumping. of the water, yep. 100 meters from shore, from Jarvis Bay right down to Jaroa, we'll pronounce it like that. And what a lot of the fish are between that sort of 15 to 70 kilos. So it's a big range size of fish, but there's bigger fish than 70. And yeah. sensational. I don't want to put a damper on it because a lot of New South is in restrictions and whatnot. But I'm really hoping that you that with you most people can get along there on the coast that fish close to this because this is like a once in a lifetime scenario, Pat. Like this is. This is insane. So, and I know before this that they hadn't seen this in decades to come before either. So, this is insane for the yellowfin fishery. And when's it going to stop? You and I have been talking about yellowfin. It feels like for five and a half years now. So, it's uh, it's great to see with the yellowfin there. Uh, Redmond, we've got a massive show coming your way this morning. We're chatting with Sean Clancy from BLA a little later. We're talking some of the newest tech that they have to market, as well as the social club up after the break. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for the Social Club. We take your questions from social media. We're giving away real brand gear every week for the best questions. The first one comes from Daniel. Hey, Red, I noticed on your salt guide videos that you do not tenderize your squid baits for whiting. Can you talk us through what you do? Yeah, it's sort of a... Bit of in with the old, uh, out with the old and in with the new, Patrick, that sort of uh, technique. Because I guarantee you, years ago, I used to tenderize my squid. I, I I did. Like, I'm talking, oh, early days. And then... So talk us through that tenderizing process. Yeah. For, so, for those that, that don't know. Yeah, meat mallet. You, you basically have, a lot of people will have in their second or third drawer at home, Pat. Basically, you take it out fishing and... Don't tell the, the missus or your husband you're taking it out because it comes back smelling no good. But you, you, you tend to – you basically get your squid tube. And old Tony, who we have on um, – sorry, we haven't had him on the show ever, but you and I both uh, fish with old Tony a few times, and he's a, he's a local fisherman fishing Queenscliff. He's an older sort of generation fisherman. And he's still now, with all of the local Queenscliff guys, they all tenderize their bait still. But uh, they sit there with their hammer and they get their tube out and they smacking it, smacking it, and basically getting it to nearly just before mashed potato. And they literally <laughs> squish it onto the end of their hook and then they throw it out. And they, they soften it so soft for the whiting. That, uh, that, and that's what they, they used to do. And then I reckon – I'm not saying that I bloody changed the way but at all, to be honest with you, but I don't know where it come from or where I started changing it. I can't remember when, but I all of a sudden just started – using squid strips and I, I honestly like i said i don't know why i started doing it i don't even know who i learned it off or where i picked it up from but i just ran 
three inch or not even probably two and a half inch, three inch squid strips, probably only maybe just shy of a centimeter wide. And I've, that's what I use for my squid these days. I do not tenderize it. I do not nothing. And it saves a hell of a lot of bashing around on your bait ball when you just cut, you get your squid tube, you just go bang, bang, bang. And you just keep cutting squid strips rather than smacking it every time that you tenderize a bait. Now I still fish next to a few old school fishermen and they were banging it away. And then I was actually funny. During the week, old Ross, he said to me, a local fella who was sitting next to me, and goes, the only way I can get a bite is when I tenderize the squid even more than usual. But they just suck the bait off. Meanwhile, I'm next to him with a nice squid strip, not tenderizing the sliders, going <laughs> one after the other. And what I reckon was happening was he was getting it too soft. that It was just sucking the bait off, literally the hook, and he was hooking the odd one or two. But you got to remember that those worms and whatnot that they eat, if you actually grab a worm or a bass yabby, they're actually not uh, not that soft. Like, they're actually not that soft. They're quite tough. So they do break easy, but the so does the squid strip. So my my theory is that the whiting comes up, the tide, it sees your squid strip like a, a worm or whatever it is. It comes up, sucks the whole thing in, and eats it. And nine times out of ten that your bait will come – if you miss a whiting, say your bait comes back, it'll have no teeth marks in it, Pat, where if it's a leather jacket or a toady or a crapfish, they just pick the teeth marks out of it, and it is crucial – to only put your squid strip on at the tip of the squid strip. Otherwise, it'll spin in the tide and it will go to crap. So make sure, when I say the tip, I literally mean the tip. The very end, as close, without it pulling through, as close as yeah. you can get to the tip. So anyway, I hope that helped you out, Daniel, and you can get some whiting next time. The next question is from Joel. It is, Danger, have you got any trips for the off-season organised fishing-wise? Well, we've spoken about this on Real Adventures before, Aaron, because we've been planning to go to Tasmania uh, for the off-season, which um, I'm in now, and and your work can obviously um, change and be manipulated around it. Now, the trouble that we've all got at the moment is the restrictions between states. So we'd planned to, to go and fish Tassie and, and fish around the northern half of Tasmania, but at the moment that just doesn't seem like it's going to be possible to do. So. Um, what Aaron and I are both looking at at the moment is probably um, a few trips at, at, at some stage to East Gippsland. Um, clearly, it, it's it really is one of the the you know prime game fishing destinations in Victoria with the ability to fish for tuna, but also swordfish, one of those you know I, iconic fish that um, all anglers would have on their bucket list. So that's that's been on our sort of radar for a while now. Joel, um, and the other one is is heading even even further east um, as that water starts to warm up. And Aaron and Gwaine, and we've got Gwaine on the show next week, and we'll ask him around the, the water temperature changes and what that means for, for kingfish pushing down from the east coast of Australia. But that East Gippsland region will be the first to see um, – decent captures of kingfish as that current starts to warm up. So that's something that, that both Aaron and I are really keen to do. The challenge, uh, as I said, is just getting um, access to it and and not knowing when um, things can, can shut very quickly because, you know, two years ago we were talking about how important it was to um, look after those rural communities that had been affected by fires and that's very much been forgotten about it, just how um, – how horrific that was to those local communities. And then all of a sudden they're smacked by COVID as well. So Aaron and I, I are both catch, keen to get there. I want to catch a meter, I want to catch a meter flatty, Pat. Can you help me out with that this, in the next few months? Me, well, one like, meter. Lake, Lake Ties is the place for us to do that, I think. You know, that's Let's do it. Gippy, 
really well renowned for for great flathead, but Lake Tyres in that region, it is as about as good as it gets. That wraps up our social club. Good on you, Joel. You're the winner this week. Send us a direct message and we'll get some real brand gear out to you. If you want to join in the conversation, then head to our Real Adventures social pages or better yet, download our Real Adventures app. Gearing up for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for gearing up for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. Our special guest this morning is Sean Clancy from BLA Lifestyle. Good morning, Sean. How are you, Pat? Good to be on the show again. Hey, Red. Good Sean. We, all, we always love having you on, Sean, because we always talk technology. And when it comes to the boating and marine space, you cover it all. This morning, I'm really keen, though, to talk about – I've got a – uh, a 15 and a half foot stabby, Aaron. I often talk about it on the show. Yep. And one of the big challenges, Sean, that I've had over the um, the past sort of three years when I first put my Minn Kota on was where I put the batteries and how heavy they were. 60 kilos at the front of a 15 and a half foot tinny. It destroyed the performance. But in one of the, certainly something that I'm excited about, can you talk to us about, um, BLA's lithium batteries, which are going to be a, a serious game changer uh, for weight distribution for smaller hulls and just the technology that's in these batteries. Yeah, so it was one of the big things that, and even from a, an OEM boat builder point of view, they um, they understood the market. They understood that anglers wanted to be able to spot lock offshore, not have to use a traditional anchor. And not be restricted by depth. You can you can spot lock in any depth you like. Um, with that comes responsibilities as a boat builder to um, enable the correct amount of buoyancy for the weight and everything. So all of a sudden, if they spec their boat to carry so much cargo, so many passengers, and then the market starts desiring a mincoder on the front then they've got to add the weight of the mincota into the calculations as, weight of, as well as the weight of the batteries. Um, and in the case of 36-volt battery for the bigger boats, you're talking probably 85 kilos of battery plus a 30-odd kilo motor. So in some cases, they had to actually reduce the passenger by one in order to meet their flotation buoyancy regulations. So it was a big concern. So what we decided to do is start to look at the lithium um, avenue um, to try and overcome some of those challenges, not only for the OEMs, but for the general consumer. Um, in your case, you have a 24-volt Minkota. Um, like you said, you know, 50, 60 kilos of batteries. Um, lithium, um, you could reduce that quite substantially. So um, in the case of a 24-volt um battery, we can come up with a 50 amp hour lithium, um, weighs 12 kilos. What, so, about, what about time with that, Sean? So obviously Pat needs, you don't want it to last five minutes on the battery, the battery time that you've got when you're out fishing. You want to get most of your day out. How will the lithium battery go with the time uh, compared to the actual, say, 60 kilos of batteries that Pat's got in his boat? Yeah, so an AGM has a bit of a performance curve. So when it's fully charged, it's delivering full performance. As the charge reduces, the actual performance curve drops away. So 
if you've got an 80 amp hour um, battery, for instance, or 100 amp hour battery, it's probably only useful for about 60, 70% of that actual rating um, before it falls away and you can no longer hold ground and things like that. With lithium, and as you'd know from your power drills and other things, it goes flat out and then it just stops. Stops. There's no yep. sort of drop away of that performance. So that's one of the benefits of lithium. So therefore you can run a smaller lithium battery and it has the equivalency. So say a 50 amp hour lithium would be equivalent to about an 80 amp hour AGM. Um, and you're keeping that full performance till it just falls off the cliff. Um, and then you recharge it. So then we can get away with smaller amp hour. The other good thing about the batteries we developed was we've got an app. So we've actually got a Bluetooth app that gives us all the information about the battery. So all of a sudden you can look on the app, see how much percentage of charge you've got left. When you're on spot lock, you can see how many amps it's drawing. There's a little um, indicator that says you're drawing at the moment eight amps or 10 amps or 20 amps. Um, we did a few calculations with that and at 50% thrust, it's only drawing eight amps. So a 50 amp hour battery, um, you're gonna get six hours on spot lock. Now that's, for most recreational anglers, that's a big day out because that's, that's literally on spot lock. That's not driving out to the area, going from spot to spot and everything else you do. Most anglers are probably productively fishing for maybe four, you know, and that's a healthy day yeah. out in the water for them. Um, there's obviously bigger. We've got 50 amp hour, 100 amp hour, 150 amp hour. So we do cater for a guy that wants to be out there for 12, 14 hours. But the reality is um, it's not really necessary in all those cases. Talking and speaking of realities, the reality is for most anglers, Sean, that they can't get out in the boat all the time. And this has happened to me uh, far off, far more than I would care to admit. But I know where this is going. <laughs> the discharge rates for these lithium batteries is a is a real game changer for recreational anglers that actually don't get to fish all that often. But when they do, it's been sitting in the shed for six months. <laughs> they get down to the ramp, and then all of a sudden, they can't start their motor because the <laughs> the, the battery's gone flat because you haven't been out for so long. This is this is changing significantly as well with with BLA's. Uh, lithium batteries yeah so one of the other benefits of lithium is it doesn't it doesn't discharge when it's sitting idle um, like an agm a traditional battery will do so um, again you can walk out to your garage look on your app and you can see oh, i'm at 78 percent. i might just top it up but it's not going to die you know these these batteries we've got we've got a seven-year warranty on these batteries and we actually there, there's no reason why they shouldn't last 20 years um that's the sort of the difference and obviously there's a cost involved in the initial investment but it just changes the whole way you go about it um from then on so we've seen sean over the past five years and no one would know this better than you given um the offering that bla has but people are continually asking for more from their boats more technology uh more put into their um, their standard runabout than they ever have before. Most of the the big boat builders that we've had on are continually amazed by the up spec 
of their of their maxi trailable boats that are now um, not nudging but well exceeding the two hundred and fifty three hundred thousand dollar mark. Has that been a significant change and an extraordinary change for you just with the demand for for greater technology on smaller boats where people are just happy to pay for ease of functionality and that great tech? I think so. And when um, when I was young growing up, we used to go to Bermagui all the time and um, you'd, you'd see the guys that were at the, you know, had all the money and, you know, wealthy guys, they'd have the 40-foot boat moored in the marina and that was the holy grail was to have the flybridge boat and then everyone else was trailering their boats up with their HQs up the highway. Um, I don't know how they ever did it, but they, you know, managed to, to drive these old um, these car these boats up the highway. What what I think's evolved over the years is guys, especially in Australia, guys have gone. You know what? I don't want to be stuck in one marina. The fish are in different areas at different times of year, so I want to be able to move around. I've got three hundred grand to spend. I want the best trailer boat money can buy. Um, obviously, trailers have got better. Cars have got more capable. Um, so it's quite feasible for a guy to spend 200, 300 grand on a boat and therefore want all the tech that he can put on it um, from electronics, electric motors, um, everything on it. And he wants the best digital switching and all that sort of stuff as well. With that, it ties perfectly into sounding technology let's talk hummingbird and uh the the live scope technology that you have that is just going from strength to strength yeah so um hummingbird's sort of been around the the imaging space so traditional sonar moved on from that traditional sonar to side imaging and then down imaging and then mega 360 which shows you everything all around the boat and one of the things recently that's evolved in this space is live sonar um, and basically it's the technical terms multi-beam sonar but basically what it enables you to do is see fish swimming around um, and, and what that enables you to do as an angler is see how the fish is reacting to your lure or bait um, it's not so much about looking for structure there's other technologies for that but it gives you the ability for um, anglers to see how the fish is reacting to their lure. So you can see the fish, cast your lure, see the lure, see the reaction. If it's not reacting or it's turning away, then you can make another decision on lures and that sort of stuff. So that's kind of where the sonar technology market's going to evolve into this live sonar where, um, you know, we've just released Mega Live and we put up a post of a barra just swimming through the screen the other day and it just went global there's like 300,000 people have watched it and all that sort of stuff. So it's pretty exciting for an angler. And um, and even the, the the cod fishermen are probably the ones that have embraced it the most because cod, that, that old nickname is a fish of a thousand casts. It's actually changed now. So cod anglers are going to areas like Lake Yildon and they're just, they're just driving around looking for solitary cod. And they've actually really worked out a lot more about the cod by doing this because it was always sort of cast at snags all day, work along the bank, cast at snags. What they found more recently is the big cod, when they're actually ready to feed, they go out into open water and just swim around. 
Um, and they're quite often solitary fish too. So they'll be just one big cod on its own, swimming around looking for something. And um, and this technology is enabling anglers to target that one fish, point the live transducer at it, and literally follow that fish and make the one cast. So it's almost more of a hunting thing. You're spotlighting a fish and you're hunting for that fish instead of just throwing casts all day, hoping. Um, so, yeah, especially from a Murray Cod point of view, it's become pretty amazing what's going on out there with this new, new mega live technology. I know you've you've spent time fishing with him and he's, and he's a great uh, friend of Real Adventures, but if Hummingbird can survive Bomber Farrell in Groot Island and the fishing that he does up there, it's safe to say that it can survive anywhere? Yeah, I was having a chat to Bomber the other day, actually. Um, yeah, I, they say that they say the water's more salty up there. We've actually tested that, and it's not true. It's the same <laughs> salinity everywhere. But for some reason, if something can survive Darwin um, or the top end, it, it can survive anywhere in the world. Hey, Sean, <laughs> with the live imaging that you were just talking about, now I've used uh, the technology quite a bit in – uh, say Port Phillip Bay, and I found it real helpful with live bait, actually finding live bait in itself. Now, I understand the slower you go regarding any, uh, I guess, transducer that uh, mirrors the image on your screen, the slower you go, the better the, the picture is. Now, with the live imaging, how's it going to go with speed? Now, you said before with chasing your Murray Cod with your, um, with your, um, with your scan, how is it going to go with speed-wise? Like how fast are you going to go to have clear imaging on your screens? It's really a stationary technology or a Minkota electric motor moving around slowly sort of technology. Um, it's not something where a saltwater guy will be up on up on plane driving around using live. Um, yep. The transducers themselves, most of the guys have got them mounted on a pole so you put the pole in the water and you start looking around. So it might evolve into that someday, but it's really we, – we still rely on traditional 2D sonar, really, for anything up on plane, Yep. moving quickly. Once you come off the plane, we use technologies more like side imaging, still use traditional sonar and side imaging. Um, and then once you've sort of honed in on an area – you, you've seen some fish, um, then you'd use the live. I, I'm really excited to see it from a snapper fishing point of view. Um, you know, when guys commit to anchor, they'll put a live transducer down um, and just see how snapper um, are reacting to their bait, whether the snapper have moved. Uh, and I don't know whether you've played around with that, just sweeping your live transducer around to see, oh, the snapper, they're moved over there. Um, throw a bait out, see if the snapper are rising up to that bait or they're ignoring it, what they're doing, and being able to make adjustments accordingly. Bloody now, what we can do now. The fish have nearly got no chance, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, before we let you go, one last thing I want to talk about because we could talk technology with you all day, but phones are continually becoming more and more part of our fishing lives. Scan Strut's another uh, product that BLA offers. Um, great quality uh, componentry, um, wireless charging. Just talk to us quickly about ScanStrut. Yeah, so the probably the favourite product that they do in the range is the wireless active phone charger. Um, our mate Paul Worsling loves it. He thinks it's the best thing on his bike. Um, 
he it, it's really just a wireless charger you, you put it in it's nice and easy to fit your phone to and it just starts charging wirelessly um i think every boat should have one um clearly the boat salesmen aren't doing a good enough job um, i actually agree with you easy, i seriously agree with it well. <laughs> I, I used it on paul's uh, little center console a little while ago and i think i even used one on a Haynes signature a friend of mine had they're bloody tremendous they are literally the best thing to put in a boat that i've seen yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty cool. And, um, yeah, everyone that's got one, it just becomes the favourite thing on their boat. And, you know, guys are running – they could be running fishing apps now, you know, our BLA battery app, and they're running their yep. stereo, all their music through their phones. And there's nothing worse than taking out your household phone cable charger. That's exactly what I was just about to say. burnt out in literally months in salt water. Um, so to have wireless, a waterproof – wireless phone cradle and charger um just solves all those problems i took my charger out literally during the week i never take a charger out in the boat it was in the afternoon i went fishing i've been on my phone throughout the day i literally took it out of my car at the ramp and i put it back in that afternoon i don't even reckon i had salt water touch it and it was still stuffed so oh, yeah. <laughs> it literally <laughs> flicking in and out now it's a pain in the backside of it yep i agree oh, sure. right away Sean, we appreciate your time this morning. Uh, if anyone wants more information around the BLA product offering, you can head to bla.com.au for more information. Um, it's a great way to spend plenty of money because it is an <laughs> it is an addictive site. Aaron and I can both vouch for that. Sean, thanks for your time. Good on you guys. Thanks for your time. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for Red Sip. Redman, what do you have for us for the weekend? So we're going to next week talk a little bit more in depth at the start of the show about uh, these squid that are just about to drop. We've, we've been touching base throughout it, but we're going to do a bit more of a description going through uh, basically how to rig your baits, how to run sinkers with them, how to find the eggs properly, sunglasses. We're going to cover it all next week, Pat. That's what we're going to do next week because it's not far away for it to kick off red hot. But I just had a few uh, social media questions coming through during the week about jigs versus uh, baited jigs, I should say. And I just want to go through a few baits that you need to stock up on uh, for your ideal situation to land some of these big squid. Now, your salmon length is – juvenile salmon length is 21 centimetres. That's the, the, the minimum length that you can keep a, uh, a salmon. So – if you can somehow find some small juvenile salmon around that 22 to 25 centimetres, they are great baits to use for uh, big squid, as well as Tommy Ruffs. Now, Tommy Ruffs look very similar to salmon, but they're different, and they don't have a minimum size. So keeping as many – and by, by catch for whiting and whatnot, you're going to get a lot of them. So start to freeze them individually in just small – I think for 90 cents, you can get a pack of 50 bags, large bags and Woolworths. So that's what I freeze them in. I don't cry back them. I just put them in those. But also as a uh, – if you are heading out, don't forget silver whiting. If you can't get fresh bait, silver whiting from the petrol station or your bait store will work really well too. But the problem is their guts get a bit soft naturally from when you buy them uh, – just from the freezer and whatnot. So your three baits that I would be recommending are those, your salmon, Tommy Ruff, and your uh, your silver whiting. And next week, I'm going to go in depth with a few others, but so make sure you do tune in next week. But at the moment, if you can catch those, don't just throw them away. Keep them in the boat because it's going to be a red-hot squid season once this water clears up in the next coming weeks. And that was Red Tip. Now it's time for the Flying Gaff, Patrick. 
It is time for Flying Gaff Redmond, and uh, I love Sydney ciders. They're an inventive lot, and given the restrictions uh, that COVID has in place around haircuts and how you're not able to uh, have a haircut, Redmond, the gaff this week goes to a Sydney cider uh, that was caught um, handing out haircuts whilst fishing on a beach. Now, you can fish, but... <laughs> you can't get your hair cut. So what this guy decided to do was was mix both of them together. So whilst he was fishing, he was also giving a haircut. And um, I love the ingenuity of him. I'm not sure what Gladsy could say about that because he was he was fishing. He was doing what you're legally allowed to do. And then he just got out the um, – I don't think it was the bait knife to, to cut the hair <laughs> with. I think it was something slightly sharper. Um, but well played. I'm impressed with it. It's uh... – He's um he's made things work. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for your company this morning on Real Adventures. We hope you enjoy the show. We'll see you next week. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.